Hey, friends, Chad coming at you. Um, for those of you who have known me for any amount of time, especially those that I've um, had the privilege of pastoring or being in, in um, any sort of spiritual family dynamic, you know it's incredibly hard for me to ever finish a sermon series. And maybe I shouldn't have brought it up because now you'll actually start paying attention. It's because the thought of any word being the final word on any passage drives me crazy because I never stop reading the Bible and studying. That doesn't mean that I believe that any text can say anything we want. That's actually the farthest thing from the truth that I believe. It's the the idea of finality because I'm an artist and a creator uh, by nature. Uh, I never want it to be the final word. I always want to explore more of what God means in his word by the Spirit. So because of that, it has historically been hard for me to ever seal the deal and finish uh, a sermon series through a book like, you know, the book of Acts or Ephesians or Colossians or 1 Peter. I think 1 Peter took us like 18 weeks or more. Um, I don't remember a couple of years ago, but the point is it's hard for me. So I just want to walk through the rest of Colossians online because I know we have, uh, you know, Holy Week coming up, um, Palm Sunday, Easter. And I just, I want to be faithful that, you know, at the start of the year, we were going to walk through Colossians and I want to actually finish walking all the way through Colossians. If you're okay with that, get your Bible you can hit pause as many times as you need to throughout this video. Um, I just want to literally read all of the rest of the verses that we've not officially taught or preached from, make a few comments along the way, and then pray for us and just realize that in every verse and paragraph, um, there, there are just gobs more. So we're going to finish chapter 2. Chapter three, <laughs> chapter four, okay, maybe, okay, maybe, no promises, but uh, Lord, I just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray, Lord, you would come and just move and minister by your Spirit. I pray that you would create in us an insatiable hunger as your people to know you as you have revealed yourself to us in the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would lose the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, and that just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, our hearts would burn within us as you open the scriptures to us and as we fellowship with you at this table with others. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Colossians 1 through Colossians 2, you can go find old teachings on podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook. Paul has been making the argument that Christ is totally sufficient for all things pertaining to sin, salvation, and he is supreme over all things, all of the powers and principalities in the heavenly realms, the power of sin, the power of Satan, the power of death, the power of hell, the power of the law. Christ is sufficient supreme, and he's sovereign. He is the one who is driving the story of God forward, and no one can stop his um, promise 
to make all things new. And so Paul, to this young church in Colossae, is writing from prison, encouraging this faithful community to not seek to move beyond Christ so that they can grow up in their faith, but to go deeper in Christ. Christ is that, as he says in Colossians 2, verse 3, you can see here, he is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. But over and over again, we see the mysteries, those things which are hidden, have been disclosed to us through Christ by repentance and faith and the Holy Spirit, opening our hearts, opening our minds, and opening our eyes to the glory and the beauty of Jesus. So he's been making this argument. You've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of light, in the Son of God. You've been rescued and redeemed from the power and penalty of sin. You're brand new. You're growing in him. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ is the one who is the fullness of God, the image of the invisible God. He is Lord over his church. He's Lord over all creation. He's Lord over all the powers and principalities, the angelic and demonic realm. He is Lord over it all. And he is the head of his body, which is one of Paul's favorite ways to describe the church. And that all of that we need flows from our head, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So those, are, those have been his arguments, and Paul is just so committed. Everything that seeks to, to dilute the, this church's faith and our church here 2,000 years ago, for them it was pressure from, from the Jewish community to adopt practices and ceremonial laws and practices from the Mosaic Law. It was mystical, sort of synchristic religion, folk religion of the region, so it's about angels, it's about visions and highly spiritual ecstatic experiences. You need those or you're not really a full born-again believer. Uh, they had pressure from the empire to accommodate and assimilate into you know, uh, uh, the, the religion of the empire. Caesar is God. You know, They felt pressure in the marketplace to adopt uh, and adjust to the customs of their culture which were steeped in, in idolatry, and this, this blend, this pressure to blend and dilute the perfect waters of Christ, his cross, his crucifixion, resurrection, and his kingdom. Paul is so committed to fending off all of these counterfeit narratives, all of these philosophies, all of these pulls from culture, and he's saying, guys, you don't need to add to Jesus. He is the fullness. That is as quick as I can give you. I, I left so much of the first two ch chapter and a half of Colossians, but we're already almost 10 minutes in. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. Verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over 
every power and authority in him. You were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So in this little segment, we see Paul again the same message, he's just going deeper. He's just building on his arguments. Christ is supreme. Christ is sovereign. Christ is totally sufficient. Christ reigns and rules over the church, over all creation, and he reigns over all the principalities and powers and forces, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. In every realm, Christ reigns and rules. So he's like, you received him, you don't move beyond Jesus, you go deeper in Jesus. Like again, verse 6 and 7, you, you were rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing with thankfulness. And then he warns them, as we touched on a few weeks ago, don't let anyone take you captive. Look at that language again. He's like, don't, verse, verse, uh, verse 8, don't let anyone come and hijack the purity of your faith. Look at that. You don't need to add or blend Jesus with anything. He is sufficient, supreme, sovereign, perfect. So don't let this little idea, well, okay, the gospel, I know you're a new creation, but you need this experience, or you need this extra truth, or you need to adopt this philosophy, or this tradition, or this, or that. And if you don't, the gods will be angry, or we will, our crops won't grow, or you won't be able to have kids in your family, or you won't you know, thrive at work and your relationships and we won't have peace. And, and Paul just says, enough with that garbage. None of that adds any value to your faith. Because in Christ, he goes on to say in verse 9, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And I love this in this community that's being pulled to believe, like reaching for all these spiritual ecstatic experiences. I love how much Paul brings it down that Christ actually was totally God and totally man. He experienced all of our experiences and all of God's fullness lives in him and that fullness that was in him is now in you. He called it earlier the hope of glory, which is Christ in you in Colossians 1.27. I love he affirms again something he's already hinted at. Christ is the head over every power and authority. So again, if you're in this culture and you're fearful which God do we tick off? And, 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 and what, what else do we need to add to so that our village isn't sacked by war, or that the water continues to flow? Or you know, there, There's this, this, this pulse-like reality, and, and Paul's like, no, 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 it's not like that anymore. Christ is the head over all of those powers and authorities. Those gods that you used to think were angry, that you had to appease through, through practices and, and, and through... Um, uh, you know, various ceremonies or special days or holidays. Christ is over all that. All the fullness of God's in him. You're in him by your faith in him. 
So therefore, you don't have to walk around wondering in fear, which God do we have to appease? Because Christ is fully God and fully man, and Christ is in you. You've received him, and you're being built up in him. That's his argument here. What does he go on to say? You are circumcised with the circumcision performed by human hands. What is all this language about circumcision? Well, in Genesis 17, God gave Abraham, the Abram at that time, Abraham, who is the father of faith, the father of us all, read all of Galatians. And uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 22. Really, the whole storyline of the Old Testament is God's promise being fulfilled to Abraham, that a seed from his line would constitute a new family, and through that family, that nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That seed is Jesus Christ. And one of the, the, the primary covenant, outward covenant markers that one belonged to God's people was the covenant of circumcision. Every male in Abraham's household was circumcised. And this outward sign um, in their flesh showed that they belonged to God's people. And what Paul is doing here, he's saying, this is no longer the outward mark that identifies the people of God. It is now baptism. That in that going under the water, our old life of sin, our old life of self, our old life of, of selfishness, our old life that of, of, of death and of darkness is buried with Jesus. And just like in actual circumcision, the, the flesh of uh, the male uh, genitalia is cut, the flesh is cut, Paul is saying our old life characterized by sin self and separation from God is cut off. The flesh is put to death and we're raised up with Christ as a new creation. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You're a brand new creation. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. Now you've been made alive with Christ. So Paul, again, they were facing a lot of pressure from, from, from Jewish people in their community who, what is this offshoot of of Christ followers. They need to adopt circumcision. They need to obey the Mosaic law. They need to celebrate the Jewish festivals. They need to do this and all of these things. And Paul's saying, no, this is not what identifies God's people anymore. No one is now born by natural descent into God's covenant family. You have to be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you have to put your trust in Christ. And in that, and then that's that's um, demonstrated by our baptism. You need to be baptized. This is the first apostolic message in Acts chapter 2. What do we do? Acts 2, 36 and 7. What do we do? Verse 37. What should we do to be saved? Repent, believe, and be baptized. You'll be forgiven. You'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is for all of you, your kids, and all of those who are far off. This is now what it means to participate and enter the waters sort of the emblematic of like the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan River, the literal, the water of new birth. I've, I've seen four babies born. Like there's the breaking of the waters, this new birth by the Holy Spirit. All of these are in play for the metaphor of baptism is now what marks out God's people. Repentance and faith, trusting in Jesus who is sovereign, supreme, and sufficient. And in that, our old life, of the flesh, that nature we inherited from Adam because of sin. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We now participate in a new nature by the Holy Spirit that God gives to us by trusting in his son Jesus. 
That's what he's arguing here. You were buried with him in baptism. Now you've been raised also with him in newness of life there in verse 12. So your whole self, like your whole primary operating system that used to be sin, self, and separation from God has been buried. You are now a new creation. Your, self, your, your life and lifestyle is now no longer governed by the unbridled affections of your old life and old habits and old appetites. You are now in Christ. Praise God for new creation work that we receive when we believe the gospel. Jesus' life, death, resurrection. When we trust in him as supreme, sovereign, and sufficient, we are rescued from darkness, brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, and we follow that all the way into the waters of baptism where we enter one way and we're raised prophetically and in the power of the Spirit as a new creation. This is what Paul's saying. So he's, again, he's building the argument that you don't have to add to Jesus. He has done everything. We go deeper in we never stop unfolding the riches that are in Christ Jesus and who we are because of him and in him and through him. This is the argument. And then he's like, okay, for those who think that your baptism wasn't good enough, look what he says. When you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision in your flesh, he made you alive. He forgave us all. He canceled our whole rap sheet of sin. It's like, imagine this, that God wrote all of every human sin. How long would that scroll be? Everything that stood against us and condemned us, that named our sin, that showed how desperately we needed a Savior, all of the, our legal indebtedness, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all, read Romans 3, read James 2. If you break one law, it's like breaking all of it, James 2. Our rap sheets are incalculably long. And what Paul is saying, Christ has taken our rap sheet of guilt and instead of on the ledger that said, this is Chad's rap sheet, he deserves death, he deserves punishment, he deserves my wrath, he erases our name and he writes his own in its place. This is what Paul's saying happened on the cross. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. This is what it means to be justified. We are acquitted, declared innocent of all of our guilt, all of our sin. Now, we are recipients of the gift of the righteousness of Christ, made pure and made holy apart from any merit of our own. We trusted in the merit of, the, of another, of Christ. So on the cross, he's saying, and by evidence of our baptism, all of our sins have been washed away. Our life and lifestyle, characterized by sin, self, and separation from God, have been buried with Jesus. Everything that stood against us, that condemned us and declared us guilty, has now been erased. Look at that again. Oh, he took it away and he nailed it to the cross. See, I just highlighted it there. Not As if that's not good enough. Look how he goes on. Now, all those powers and authorities that the Colossians... They were literally being bombarded to believe are still looming and they're still out there and they still hold sway and power over your life and your community. What does he say happened on the cross? He disarmed them, Jesus, all the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is literally one of my favorite um, verses in the Bible. So in, in, 
the first century and, and under the Roman Empire, when when Caesar and his armies would conquer new territories, they would take the kings or the governors or leaders of that town, they would strip them naked, they would parade them through the streets at the end of the procession or at the front of the procession. Yeah, let me see here. Hold on. Powers and authorities. Roman generals exhibiting the spoils of war, parading their captives. It doesn't say either in the front or the back. Maybe it's not significant. I thought it was significant. But they would parade them naked that would snuff out any ounce of uh, sort of like a conspiracy to revolt against the boot of Ro the Roman Empire, to humiliate the opposition, stripping them naked, and then obviously they would kill them. And what, what Paul is doing, he's borrowing from very known practice in his culture in the Roman Empire. He's saying this is what Christ did to all the powers, the principalities and powers, sin, Satan, hell, death, the demonic realm, principalities and powers that influence people and regions and nations. Those have been stripped of their power. Christ led them in a triumphal procession. Can somebody say amen? Amen. This so, again, to Paul, it is inconceivable that anyone would think they need to add to what Christ has done. Whether it's a spin-off religious practice, a certain certain type of experience, or ceremonial laws, or dietary practices, this is why he goes on. Look how he ends this chapter. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, with regard to religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come, but the reality, one of my favorite verses, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, he starts, this is where he unpacks what they're facing, some of the, the pull and pressure, disqualify you. Hey, if you haven't seen an angel, you, you're not legit. Or if you haven't done this, you're not really in, spiritual enough or protected or, or mature enough. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, but they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So even though they're claiming to be the spiritual gurus of Paul's generation, he's like, they, their mind is actually unspiritual. It's reprobate and depraved. He goes on, why? Look at this in verse 19. They've lost connection with the head. Jesus, from whom the whole body, supporting and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows that God causes it to grow. So again, Paul is saying, if you think adding to Christ will get you further in your walk with Christ, you're actually experiencing diminishing returns. You're, you're subtracting from the potency and the purity of what is available to us in what, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what he's promised to do. He's like, don't, 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 don't buy into it. Now, I know there's like a big move to study the Jewish festivals. Right now, I see it on Instagram and friends who, who love sort of some Jewish practices and festivals. And I'm all for seeing how Christ is the fulfillment of those things. Do not mishear me. But you don't have to practice any of those things and, and view yourself as like a half-breed Christian, a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul is overt here. If anyone says you need to celebrate certain festivals or certain days, or new moons or religious festivals or shadows. He's like, anyone who says you need that or you're not legitimately in Christ and, and saved or safe in his arms, it's a lie. Again, I appreciate, I have books that talk about how Christ fulfills all of the seven festivals of Leviticus 13. I love all that stuff, how Christ is the fulfillment the culmination, Romans 10, 4, of the law and all of the prophets and all of the promises. 
Jesus goes out of his way in Luke 24 to show the disciples how he fulfilled all of it. The law, the prophets, and the writings. The whole of the, of, of the Hebrew scriptures. Christ is the crescendo and climatic fulfillment of it all. So I love it. I love studying to appreciate who Christ is and what Christ has done, but we don't have to practice certain things and then feel like we're not legit in Christ. So I, that's just a pastoral thing because I know it's a big pull in some theological streams. And I love it. I appreciate it. I celebrate I practice Sabbath. I think it's not just a random idea. I think it's baked into God's ecosystem for flourishing, that there's a day devoted to rest and, and uh, recreation and joy and celebration and ceasing from striving and labor and resting in the goodness of God. But none of these qualify us or save us. That's his point. Don't let anyone who boasts about all these things... Um, you can't afford to lose connection to the head, as he says in verse 19 right there. Since you die with Christ, again, with elementary spiritual forces, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Again, to contextualize, and this happens even today in some streams. Some were so zealous for God that they, you know, they were they were so anti the hedonistic culture of Rome in the first century that they they treated their body harshly. Um, this is what he's saying: Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They were harsh. They were so committed to purity and trying to be holy for God, that they imposed all of these outward, suppressive, really oppressive practices to try to rid their heart and life of all sin. And Paul overtly says, you know, good intended, you don't want to be like culture, but this is not the way to actually experience inner transformation. That only happens through the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't force that or make that. Now, you can receive it and cooperate with it, but all of those extra practices that you think you need to suppress the sinfulness in you, he's like, you guys are you're short-sighted. You've lost connection to the head. He's over it all. The sufficient Savior, sovereign, supreme. You're in him. You have access to overcome that sin by trusting and relying on him. Not by all these outward um, regulations, he calls them in verse 23 their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack, they don't change your heart. And I remember, man, anyway, I was about to testify right there. I, I lean towards the dramatic outward action. Not that I've ever beat my body, but I love holiness. I love, I, I have such a high value for purity. Oh, since I was a young boy, the fear of the Lord, I want to please God. And I'm willing to do anything to, so that I can be holy and please him. And God loves that in our hearts. But he's saying all these outward regulations, all these things. And you died to all of that. Really, you need to go further into Christ. Resting in him and receiving the, 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 the vitality and the victory that he's already won. That victory is yours because you're in him. That's what Paul's saying. Isn't that awesome? I just love, I love the word. We'll just go on this teaching. We'll try to keep these at 30-minute blocks, and I'll release them periodically the next 
few days. He goes on to say, since then, again, what's tricky about our Bibles, as you see chapter and verse, like you see right here, like verse 2, verse 3, that obviously did not exist in the Bible. This would be one whole letter, right? You get a letter in a, from, from Paul. You're not like chopping it up and going, okay, now let's stop there at chapter 2, and then he's going to say something totally new in 3. That's not how it worked. It's a letter. He's unpacking an argument. He's addressing sins, struggles, issues. He's consoled, He's uh, consoling and building them up in Christ, but his message is always the same. More Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus. Keep look, looking to him, relying on him, be rooted in him, built up in him. He's the treasure chest in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I love that about Paul. In Christ, in Christ. So he just goes full tilt here in chapter three. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Again, back to baptism. Our old life is dead. We're raised in resurrection power. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, this is why it's so important to understand that what he does in us by faith and by as a sheer gift is an invitation to explore and experience and expand in that relationship for all eternity. So you're in Christ. You've been raised. Now, as a lifestyle, instead of thinking you need to celebrate this festival or this holiday or this harsh treatment or this spiritual ecstatic experience or whatever. He's like, just keep setting your hearts on Christ. You want to become more like Jesus? You'll become more like the one your heart is set on. That's his unbelievable argument. Set your hearts on Christ, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he's like, Kate, you want to get closer to Christ? Set, keep setting your mind on Christ, not on earthly things, whether it be sin or harsh treatment of the body or all of these extra things we've already unpacked for the last 25 minutes. Just keep setting it on Christ. Keep setting it on your heart, the center of your emotions and your, your desires and the place you make choices, your place of allegiance and affection, and then your mind, your attention, what you're alert to, what you're you're thinking on your heart and your mind, set them on Jesus because you're in him. And the more we learn to set our hearts and our minds and our practices and our priorities are centered, they're founded on him, they're centered in on him, they, they, they revolve around him, the more we'll begin to experience uh, his fullness. We already have his fullness. We're already in him. But now our whole life, that expands in, in, in real time as we experience it, our spirit, soul, mind, and body. Again, this is why it's important to understand the difference between justification, being declared innocent, made righteous, made alive. So that's justification, uh, adoption, regeneration. These are glorious doctrines. This is what we, when we put our faith in him, like this is all, it's all true of us. We're made righteous. We're totally declared innocent. All of our sins are forgiven. Our spiritually dead heart 
begins to beat. We're born again. We're adopted into his family, Galatians 4, Romans 8. We cry out, Abba, Father. We're born of God, right? Uh, John 1, 9 through, 12, 9 through 13. All of these things happen when we put our faith in, in Christ. And then the journey of being uh, teasing out what that what is already true of us in Christ as our regular, everyday operational reality. The, the ongoing work of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That, that finished work, who we already are in Christ, is becoming more and more true of us in our lived experience, in our thought life, in our practices, in our attitudes, in our action, as reflected in our character, as demonstrated in our conduct. All of these things we never stop growing in. Never stop growing in. And the way we grow and accelerate that growth, Paul is saying, is not through any of the things the church in Colossae was being pressured to adopt, but by going further, deeper, wider, and higher in the supremacy, sufficiency, sovereignty of Christ Jesus, our King, our Head, our Lord. This is how you grow. Go deeper in Jesus. Set your hearts and your minds. He is your life. You are hidden in him. You are safe in him. No powers, no forces have authority over your life any longer. This is, he's, he's like coming to this climactic uh, argument throughout the whole letter. Keep returning. Keep setting. Keep seeking. Christ is your life. That's a lot of teaching. I'm going to land the plane there. Man, get caught up in the story. I so encourage you. There's so much more we, we could have talked about, but I trust that this has been stimulating, provoking, and encouraging. Friends, God has done it through his son. He is supreme. He is sufficient. He, you have access to the treasury of heaven. Access it by faith. Lord, show me who I am in you. Remind me today. Show me that I don't have to fear. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. It's not, it's not all dependent on me. Jesus, I'm in you. I'm, in, I'm made full and complete in you. My old life done. The enemy tries to accuse you. No, that's been buried and dead. That's not who I am. I'm in Christ. And I just so, I just so encourage you. Um, set your hearts, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated, on Christ himself. This is the best way to grow. Go deeper. Chad, how do I do that? Practically, become a person of the book. Become a person that prayerfully and reflectively walks through the scriptures, always praying, Lord, show me what that means. What do you mean I'm in you? What do you mean be built up. Lord, how do I build? Oh, it's like building a house. There's materials, there's cost, there's energy, there's effort. This is a worthwhile building project. Rooted. Oh, it's like a tree. Like It needs water. It needs sunlight. It needs nutrient. It needs pruning. It needs care. It's going to take time. What's so interesting is all of us would be willing to invest time in advancing our careers, getting our kids into the best school, taking the double shift so we can afford the vacation. And I'm not harboring or har harping on any of those things. 
But when it comes to Christ, we cry legalism when we, talk, when we challenge each other to go a little bit deeper and to actually invest substantive time to becoming more rooted and built up. And I just want to encourage you. He is worth the sacrifice, the cost, the energy, the effort, the alarm clock, the, 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 the uh, commute to and from work, the lunch hour, living a life where we're constantly redirecting our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ. And in that, we will begin to grow and experience more and more as a, as a lived experience of his fullness that we've already received by faith. So Lord, thank you for this uh, little chunk of scripture. I pray that it would go really, really deep in us, that we would be rooted and established. We wouldn't be taken captive by any philosophy or agenda of the enemy or of, of the, the various narratives that we see on social media, the news outlet, etc., our culture, Hollywood, whatever it is, Lord, uh, we don't want to blend anything with the potency of Christ, his cross, his kingdom, and his soon return. He's the head, and we don't want to get severed from our, our connection to him. So, Lord, any competing narrative, any false uh, appetite or or allegiance, Lord, that our hearts or minds have been captive to, would you just liberate your people today? Would we be reconnected, reestablished in your sufficiency, confident in your supremacy, and bold in your, uh, and at rest in your sovereignty that you're going to bring this thing to completion, the storyline. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. We'll pick it up in Colossians 3, 5 for the next teaching.